Rewind with Oshin Langan. I don't really get emotional when when I win or, or victories, but I was I was trying to hold back the tears there on the 18th green. We didn't perform at all today. We didn't. We didn't work hard enough. Didn't work hard enough on 50-50 balls. Didn't work hard enough on the on the breaking ball where the game was won. You know, so we got cleaned out in breaking ball, and that's that's where the game is won in modern holding. And it's just areas we need to work on. The plan for us is just to try and keep winning match by match. Get the most we can out of this monster championship, including compete in the final and win the final. You know, we're very uh, open about what our aims are here, and that is to to uh, keep winning. It's opened up for Fintech Craig. There's a goal on here for Kiro Marta. He hand passes it in, oh. and it's walked into the back of the net. It's a goal for us, Common, and they cut Leitrim to absolute ribbons. New York ran us right to the wire, and I suppose we were lucky enough in the finish. We were grouped when we got back. We trained hard, and we knew we were going to get to that stages today, but we knew at times, if we got our opportunities and took them, we'd get, come out winners in the finish. Heaslip gives it outside and lets her in. Sean Cronin gets over the line after a Jamie Heaslip pass. And Leicester surely now seal victory. They're on their way to the final in Edinburgh next weekend. Five, four. They kick the touch. Collins have won. They're going to the final. Unbelievable. There's so many people that would have liked to be at the game. You know, Sligo, Leach from Common, Mayo, Galway. You know, right, right through. It's just a wonderful day for the West of Ireland in the sense that, you know, that uh, what we represent. Coming up on the Rewind here on News Talk, more on all of that. Rory McIlroy winning the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open and he's donated all of his winnings to the Rory Foundation, so well done to him. A Cork selector, Pat Ryan, couldn't really pinpoint a reason as to why they were so bad against Tipperary. Tip boss Michael Ryan says despite their win, they still have a lot of things to work on. More on that to come. Ross Commons, Finton Craig was happy enough with their 121-11 to 11 points win over Leitrim. A Connacht coach, Pat Lamb, how could he not be happy? They beat Glasgow Warriors 16-11 to reach the Guinness Pro 12 final next Saturday in Edinburgh against Leinster. You heard uh, Rob Murphy of Galway Bay FM not quite losing the plot, but uh, certainly getting excited. I really did think he would lose the plot. It means that much to Rob. Uh, there's also Van Gaal's sacking and Mourinho's arrival, along with Ireland's Euro 2016 warm-up against the Netherlands. We'll talk about all of that soon. Uh, first, though, let's get to hurling. We're joined by Irish independent GAA writer and former Offaly hurler Michael Verney. Michael, we'll get to you in a second. But first, a more reaction from Cork against tip yesterday Cork losing 22 points to 13 on a horrible day in Thurlis uh, Michael Ryan to come uh, but first uh, Pat Ryan Cork selector poor performance and um, poor effort really from, from ourselves and the, from the management team and, uh, and, uh, and the squad as a whole you know so look look everybody's very disappointed you know we expected to perform an awful lot better than that we expected to win the game we came up here but um, look, we were a good bit off that uh, I suppose we realised that we needed to um, maybe shore up the back lane small but you know and, and not, not create too many goals opportunities for Tipperary but um, it just didn't work in there we didn't work the ball well enough for ourselves and when we were in possession that was the, that was the problem there's no point hiding from it no look we're in, a, we're in a poor spot now we need to work ourselves out of it it's not good for your confidence anyway, whatever way, wherever we work it but I think our fellas know that they didn't play today and didn't perform um, I think look if you had if you were to perform you were beaten by the score you'd say look where are you going but look we didn't perform at all today we didn't and we didn't work hard enough didn't work hard enough in the 50-50 balls didn't work hard enough on the, on the breaking ball where the game is won you know so we do. We just we got cleaned out in breaking ball and that's 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 where the game is won in modern hurling and uh, it's just areas we need to work on Michael you got the win out of that uh, game today what else did you get out of it? Well we only came for the win um, so you know we're, we are delighted with that um, you know clearly it, it, you know it wasn't it wasn't one for the ages um, and I, I think uh, Mother Nature played a significant part in that um, it was almost that you know we couldn't play 
despite the best efforts of both teams, um, it was very difficult to play out there. You know, the rain was, you know, when it started, it became quite incessant. Uh, and there was, a, you know, a significant, significant enough breeze down, down the pitch. Um, and I think that's what probably gave us a little bit of a cushion at half time. And, um, and we fully expected, you know, an onslaught in the second half. Um, but you know, we'd we'd like to think uh, we were prepared for that. Um, so yeah, look at you know, it wasn't it wasn't at all pretty, but it was functional as far as we were concerned. You must be very pleased that you saw out a game when you were on top, you stayed on top. Yeah, that's a bit of unusual, is it these days? Um, look at this is championship. Um, you know, winner takes all. You know, winner goes forward, and that's what we came to to do here today was to earn the right to go forward to to the semi final. Um, you know, we're delighted with that. You know, it's important for this bunch. Um, we have a very committed, honest, hard-working bunch in there. Um, each of them, you know, fighting for their dear lives, you know, to, to get some time on the pitch or stay on the pitch, as the case may be. So it's, it's very healthy. It was very healthy for the bunch today. Uh, and we've, we've quite a few injuries, you know, fellas that will be, you know, back in, in the next week or two to compete again for that Limerick thing. So, you know, that's probably the, the you know, the, the real success for us today was that uh, we were allowed to, you know, use, use a few new players, you know, which we did at the start and, um, and bring on I think we didn't quite get five on, but we got four on, which is important. You must seem very happy with the ball use. I mean, some of your point taking was supreme. Some of it, yeah, some of it, absolutely. Um, and yeah, you know, there was there's, there's loads of, of areas of of the match that you know, uh, again, while it was live, I certainly wasn't happy with. We hit some long ball, um, you know, that was poorly directed. It seemed to be hit right into space where you know we had no threat, and so therefore it was coming back up to us just as quick. You know, we've loads to work on. You know. But I will reiterate, conditions were difficult for for both teams. But it was a very difficult day for Forest to operate. Uh, you know, um, even a slow back like myself could survive <laughs> in a day like like that. Um, but no, I'm just. But it, it was it was easier for the backs today, um, and it just made it just made your use of the ball far more important. You know, you, you just had to be careful with what you did. And by and large, we, you know, we we I, we'd be quite satisfied. We, we were okay for long periods, but not all the time. Michael Ryan, the Tipperary manager there on their 22 points to 13 win over Cork. Before him, you heard from Cork selector Pat Ryan. As promised, Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and, of course, former Offaly Hurler joins us. Michael, um, we'll get to Michael Ryan in just a moment, but first, Pat Ryan, the Cork selector, he said it as it was. Cork just weren't good enough. The sweeper system didn't work and they didn't win any of their individual battles. Alan Cadigan really maybe the only one to come out of uh, yesterday's game with any credit. Yeah, it just kind of felt like looking at it, they were kind of stuck in some sort of identity crisis. I don't, like the sweeper system is a quite a complex thing. The, and the way they played it yesterday is was didn't have any resemblance to how Waterford or Clare would play that system. And I just don't think, I just honestly don't think Cork really knew what they were doing. And they were trying to do something that was completely alien to them. When you see, you put you put your sweeper in situ, you know, behind your centre back, in front of your full back. Um, but midfielders must filter back you must flood the midfield a bit more whereas Cork just played five up top and kept barring the sweeper they played quite an orthodox system and that's not how the sweeper works if you see with Waterford they might have one man up top the half forwards will swing back they might only have two and a half forward lane four in midfield and that means that the ball coming in is under severe pressure the ball coming into the forward is under the person striking it in is under a lot of pressure that means Tyke de Borca has more time to get where the ball is coming Cork yesterday 
I just the, the sweeper was redundant, really. And I, Pat Ryan was talking there about breaking ball and how breaking ball wins games, and it usually does. I, I don't think breaking ball had anything to do with the game yesterday. I just think they, they didn't know what sort of system they were playing. They looked kind of frazzled even from the start, and just coming out watching the players coming out beforehand, everyone kind of thought there was something big. Bruin and Cork, they came out, they looked like they had a bit of an edge to them, and they did, they tried to ruffle Tip's feathers, which is maybe unlike a Cork team usually would, but they just, once the game got going, they, they just didn't know, or didn't look like they knew what they were doing, and it didn't look anything like, you know, a Cork team of old, it just, I, it was it was very, very strange to see, it's just, it's not I've seen before out of a Cork team, They're, they just looked like they were playing with fear. One of the theories out there is that physically, this Cork team aren't up to it that Jimmy Barry Murphy put an awful lot of work into touch and skill over the last three years Kieran Kingston has taken over and they're just too far behind other counties look you've played the game at an inter-county level so you're well placed to tell us if there's any accuracy in that statement or if it's just one of the many excuses that's been put out there today and one of the many theories that's been put out there today but ultimately Cork looked lost yesterday because they didn't play well yeah, the physical thing, yeah, I would say there are definitely deficiencies comparing to other inter-county teams. Like, conditions were tough yesterday. You were going to have to be very composed and strong on the ball, and they didn't, they weren't, like, really. But I think the physical thing is probably getting blown up. Like, there was so many, there were so many parts of their game were off yesterday. Their touch was off. Their game plan was off. They didn't, you know, they didn't look like they knew what they were doing. Cork, like... Comparing Cork to Tipperary, Tipperary wouldn't be much physically stronger than them. Yesterday it looked like they were, though. They did, like, for example, Seamus Callan went for a ball there out just underneath the, the newsstand and he just kind of hit Damien Callan a shoulder. Damien Callan would be, would be a strong boy, but he knocked him off and then was able to pull over a score himself. The physical thing, yeah, I, that was a, a small issue, but there was far bigger issues, in my opinion, with regards to their touch, their style of play. You know, they just they just didn't look sharp. You know, there was no zip. There was where Munster Championship, Cork versus Tipperary, you're expecting Cork, everything to be done, you know, a million miles an hour. And it was just so far off that yesterday. And that was probably one of the most surprising things. Like, you would have you would have thought that Cork would be waiting in the long grass, maybe, so to speak. And they'll always, you know, people would have said in the week building up, Cork will always bring everything to Turles for Tipperary. But we, we just didn't see that yesterday. And a lot of different excuses are going to come out now, be it physical or otherwise. But I think, I really think the style of play is the one that they really need to look at. They're playing a system that is just does not suit them. They just don't seem to have a grasp on it. And how hard will it be for Cork to change that mid-championship? I'm Kieran Kingston, a good man, a Cork hurling man, but look, the results have shown us so far this season, whatever he's trying to do, it isn't working. I, I, what you were saying there, how hard will it be to move, to change it on? It will be unbelievably hard because realistically, those guys have been training since last October or November and it, we're now into May, so they're five or six months. So he's up, they're going to have to change and they're going to have to change radically but you're trying to change again in a short period of time. And it's very, very hard to do that. You know, the, the styles of play that Clare and Waterford have been working on, they've been working on them for, you know, excess of 18 months and have them down to a fine art. Cork would have thought maybe that they were working on some sort of system for five or six months. But, like, basically that, that system of work has been blown out of the water. So to regroup in the next couple of weeks is going to be very, very difficult for them. And just mentally as well, like they're all, they're going to be in, they're going to be in a bad place. You know, there's very little positive to take out yesterday, unfortunately for them. 
And I, I, I don't see an extended run in the qualifiers. I'd be amazed if they get an extended run in the qualifiers unless they get a nice draw where they can build up confidence again. But anyone will fancy playing them at this stage. You know, if they do change their system, which they probably will, you mightn't see the sweeper the next day. But that will leave them open at the back. Like teams play sweepers to maybe to not concede goals. They're probably not completely um, confident in, in their defence. So if Cork do get rid of the sweeper, they're far more likely to concede goals again. And teams will... No, teams won't fear playing Cork. It's just they, they just did not have that Cork edge to them, and you would be worried for them going into the qualifiers. We're talking about Cork and the fact that they didn't show up, but Tipperary must deserve credit. What do you think they would have taken out of this game? We heard from Michael Ryan, their manager, he wasn't getting too excited, and Owen Kelly, the ex-Tip captain, said on Off the Ball uh, that uh, he still thinks Tip are the third best team in Munster behind Waterford and Clare. Yeah, Mick Ryan. It's it's great for him. You know, he's been he's been kind of in the wings there. He was announced as manager. You know, probably the guts of twelve months ago, and to get a win under his belt is huge for him and for a young side as well. What they will have learned, I, I don't know. Will they have learned that much? They're not going to come up against a system like that again this year. If they play Waterford or Clare or even Limerick the next day, they're not going to have any system like that. A system as easy to break down as that, shall we say? What they will have learned a bit, you know. He would have been maybe slightly worried looking at the likes of Seamus Callan and even Bubbles today against Clare that they weren't as sharp as maybe you would have hoped. But the forwards did look sharp yesterday. They created an awful lot of space for themselves. The full back line is, is, is a line I, I really like to look at. It always a great time for Mickey Cal and even, you know, he was one of the, the main men in 2010, but he's kind of had, you know, injury interrupted preparation since then. And Carl Barrett's, he's such a, he's such a tigerish cornerback. He's one of definitely one of the best cornerbacks in the game. And James Barry is after settling into that full back role and the two matters outside. Their defense, their defense looks solid. And that was one thing yesterday. While they weren't particularly well tested, they would be very, very happy with that. They conceded, you know, what, 12 scores in, in an hour or in 70 minutes, which is really good. And some of the point-taking was very good. Some of the point-taking from distance was good as well because they're going to have to be able to do that come summertime. I just think they're going to get a completely different test from Limerick the next day. Um, while they got the win, uh, I don't think it, will, it has braced them for what lies ahead maybe further down the line. OK, let's talk about the game on Saturday night. Wexford coming up against Dublin and losing badly 219 to 12 points, the final score of that game. Uh, we'll get the thoughts now of Dublin manager Ger Cunningham and facing Kilkenny on June 11th. But first, Wexford manager Liam Dunn on the lack of performance from his side who are missing two of their best players in the shape of Lee Chin and Andrew Shore. You know, eight points down at half-time and we came, got the first two scores in the second half and... That's when we needed a goal. We needed we needed the spark at that stage to really ignite the team, and, and it didn't happen. But you know, you needed a Lee Chin or an Andrew Shore at that stage, someone there that you know, leaders in the team that can, can push it on. But we're not making excuses. We didn't have them. We had 15 guys there out to do the business, and unfortunately, at this level, you have to perform and you have to put in a performance. And and that didn't happen. And Dublin have done very well here. They've stolen a ball from Wexford as they try to bring it out. Goal on for Eamon Dillon! And into the top corner, he puts it away. Well, Wexford very much the author of their own downfall there. Shoot to Darrell Connell. Goal chance for Dublin! Through the legs of Conor O'Leary and into the back of the Wexford net. Dublin get their second goal of the first half. They've carved them open time and time again. We need to be consistently competitive. So for that to happen, we need to be able to pitch in the game all the time. Um, so that's that's the encouraging point from my point of view tonight. You know, we we got to the game early, we get in there, and uh, th- that's the challenge for us to do it all the time. We haven't thought about Kilkenny. You know, we knew to you know people were talking about you know the, the potential semi-final of playing playing Kilkenny. I haven't addressed it in any shape or form. It was nothing 
but Wexford and we had to give that our full focus tonight better get the thinking cap on now though. yeah, it's, only, yeah it's, it's three weeks we have three weeks to do it you know what I mean that, and that's the ultimate challenge when you you know you're the All-Ireland champions in Port Leash and you know and that's hopefully that's, that's the challenge that our fellows will take it on and that's what we look forward to Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and former Offaly Hurler still with us here on the Rewind on News Talk uh, Michael Liam Dunn summed up his team's performance pretty well in that clip didn't he Oh, he did. The, the, the parallels between, you know, Cork and Wexford over the weekend, they're just they're so obvious to see. Like, they're bas- basically two teams that look like they're they're really, really struggling. And neither of them showed, really, they didn't show up over the weekend. Um, just Liam was saying, Liam mentioned after, and would have been in today's papers there about, you know, missing the likes of Jack Guiney and missing, you know, the likes of Kevin Foley, a very good under-21 player. And, but I, questions have to be asked, like, there's there's obviously underlying reasons why some of the best hurlers in Wexford aren't in on the county panel. And while bemoaning that they're not there is grand, there are obviously reasons why they're not there. And those questions need to be asked. Like, the best hurlers within the county need to be there. But I, I do feel some sympathy for Liam. He had, you know, Andrew Shore, one of his best hurlers, injured, cruciate. I know he was back doing a bit of training pre-operation, but, like, he, he was realistically he couldn't play... The Lee Chin situation was was a funny kind of a one. Like Liam said after that, it, that he wasn't fit to play and really shouldn't have been in the twenty six. I, I don't see why he came out and did parts of the warm up. Then he, he said he passed the fitness test on Thursday night. Um, I'm not sure why he was talking. Yeah, out Michael, it's time for me to fess up on this one because I got very good information that he was going to play. I went and I tweeted yeah. it. It was ran, and then there was a further complication on top of that. because he insisted in the interview with Dave that that Lee wasn't fit, but. If he wasn't fit, why was he named so late in the 26? And then added to that, John Fogarty of the Irish Examiner tweeted, you can't just add a player anymore unless it's a keeper or a subkeeper. Now, there's a bit of a grey area because do you name the squad publicly and then give something else to the Leinster Council or CCCC and then are you okay to add a player? So there's there's a bit of confusion about this situation. Yeah, well, I had heard on, on Saturday night from some from Wexford folk that people were of the opinion that while Lee Chin was on the panel, Lee Chin couldn't actually officially play and that Wexford would have had to pay a fine if he did play. Now, I don't know what truth there is in that. Well, forfeiture was the, other, um, was the other thing suggested by John Fogarty and it seemed pretty clear in the rules. Yeah, so, so uh, I, therefore then I don't understand, I don't understand why, Lee togged, why they togged out Lee at all. Because he he definitely wasn't doing any it wasn't doing him any good to do the warm up if he's injured if he has this media ligament injury that'll keep him out for four to six weeks so I don't I don't understand that I don't know was it a an intimidation type tactic just to say oh you know Lee is there he could come on that Dublin might be you know players might be looking and thinking maybe that he could come on but like he was so sorely missed on Saturday they just they just didn't have anyone to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Particularly, you know, between, you know, the half-back line, half-hour line, where he would do Trojan work every day. They had nobody just to take it on. They looked kind of lost out there as well, you know. It was oh, it was such a disappointing display because, you know, what we saw two years ago against Clare in the two games, you know, we were expecting, you know, that kind of hellfire and brimstone from Wexford. And you're expecting, they got, like, they had a decent opening period in the second half. Got back to within six. It was, I think, it was two twelve to twelve points. Wexford didn't score from the fifty second minute on. Like it was just Dublin were just tipping over points from outside. It was really, you know, really disappointing. They're going to find it incredibly hard to regroup as well. I know Lee will probably be back, um, but he's probably the only one that will be back. With David Redmond, Sean Murphy are out as well. You know, it's it's hard to see where they're going as well. Like that was that was as poor a performance as we've seen from Wexford in a long, long time. 
A quick word on Dublin. Jer Cunningham has shaped the squad the way he wants it. He hasn't been afraid to take on big names and, and, and drop experienced players in some cases. Obviously, Conal Keeney has retired, so he's missing that experience. But he's gone with a lot of young lads and, uh, you know, he is doing it his way. Now, they beat Wexford. Kilkenny will be a different challenge altogether. Yeah, he, he definitely he definitely is doing it his own way. He's picking, just looking at the half-hour lane there, he's picking three. David Tracy's after getting an awful lot more mobile, I would say, than he has been in the last couple of years. And then you have, on the other side, you have... To, to, to the centre forward, sorry, is Mac, Niall McMorrow who kind of plays this withdrawn kind of role at centre forward there. And the half hour line is based on movement. They don't really contest puckouts, but they tend to be coming on to the ball an awful lot. And I think one of the reasons that Conor Dooley has been picked in goals, like his puckouts are very, very good and he can put on a, a sixpence basically for any of the forwards to run on to. And that's the sort of game that they're playing. Funnily enough, Portlaoise probably won't suit them the next day because it's going to be an awful lot tighter. I think their game is actually well suited to Crow Park this year. They have an awful lot more legs, far more mobile, and they have dangerous guys inside. You know, Mark Shute is dangerous. Dotsie is always dangerous. And Eamon Dillon, while he only got a goal the other night, he did look really, really dangerous. And, you know, he capitalised and Liam Ryan actually lost his hurl for the first goal. When he got that sniff of a goal, he took it. They're... I, Dublin are an interesting side the only problem is I don't know how well they were tested the other night especially with Kilkenny laying down the tracks but it'll be interesting to see what they throw at them looking at how Clare attacked Kilkenny Dublin are set up well to do a similar kind of tactic as in they're going to keep running and running and running at them I I think it's probably maybe a step too soon for this team at the moment um, but down the line I think Jura is kind of it looks like this is a long-term kind of plan yeah, with yeah. Dublin. And he's brought in some, you know, rookie enough defenders. And he's shaping it the way he wants to shape it. And it, 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 it'll be interesting to see how they get on. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they shock someone later on the year, but I don't see them shocking Kilkenny at this stage. You know, Dublin might be worth backing for the under-21 championship. They meet Wexford in Wexford Park on Wednesday week. A lot of young players in that senior squad. And uh, last year, they um, disappointed against Kilkenny. Lost after a mistake from the goalkeeper. So they'd be worth watching in the under-21s and worth watching in the senior as well because we're not sure where Kilkenny are at ahead of the uh, fixture between the two on June 11th. Michael, just before I let you go, you were, and I say this with the greatest respect to Kildare and Wexford, you were forced to endure that game. Uh, Part one of the doubleheader wasn't a classic. Kildare just about scraping the victory against Wexford, nine points to eight. Tell us why it was such a bad game, aside from the conditions, which I'm sure, you know, did play some part. Yeah, it was it was tough going to be honest with you. You know, seventeen scores in in seventy minutes is not uh, it's not what, it's not your idea of championship football. But I just think like both teams played with a very very defensive setup. Wexford wanted to try and keep in the game, so like a lot of the time, they, particularly in the second half, they only had one man up front in the full forward line, and Kildare seemed to have in the second half they just seemed to get twelve at least twelve men behind the ball or twelve men in defence. They just didn't it just looked like they just didn't want to lose? They were, how should I say? They look frazzled still from the Kerry game last year, where, where they conceded seven goals. And again, they looked like a team that was playing with fear as well. The, the, my only my only issue would have been if if Wexford had really really taken the game on and went at them in the last five or six minutes. Like there was five minutes of injury time, and Wexford were down by a point. But they never really went for it. They never, you know, let in a ball into the edge of the square. They never, you know, penetrated a pace. If they'd really gone for it, I think they could have taken a scalp. And that's it's disappointing from them because 
Wexford deserved something out of that game. I don't know if Kildare actually deserved anything. They just played within themselves. They looked like a team playing with playing with fear, as I said. And when you're missing Niall Kelly and when you're missing Daniel Flynn, Kildare, even taking into account all the underage success and some good minor under twenty one teams, they looked average and they looked like a normal team. And from my own point of view, Offaly and Westmead are on Kildare's side of the draw. And you know, whoever comes out, if we were to come out and beat Westmead. Like you'd imagine, Offaly would have no fear of playing Kildare. Definitely not on the evidence. Sure, Kildare would be a bit better the next day, having kind of got that win in Crow Park, having squeezed through. You'd, ima- you'd imagine a bit so. like Ross Common against Leitrim yesterday, having been scared against New York a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know if um, I don't know if Wexford scared Kildare or whether Kildare were scared of themselves. To be honest with you, it's hard. It's kind of a hard one to know. But like they only scored nine points. I don't, I'm not sure how much. Not sure how much confidence that they'll get from that. I don't know if it's that big of a if it's going to be that big of a factor going forward. While they got the result, it's not as if they haven't had decent results in yeah. in Leinster in recent years. Nine points in seventy minutes. I I don't know. You'd imagine they would improve if they can get those bodies back on board and a couple of under twenty ones there, the likes of Ben McCormick and that on board as well. They will be a different a different proposition, but their style of play. I, I, I it was it's like Claire opened them up in the league final and. Kildare were playing a nice brand up until then and it's just like they changed their style completely because they had been opened up by Clare and they'd been opened up by Kerry last year and I think they'll just go have to go back to there was no kick passing I, I'd watched Kildare this year and they were doing an awful lot of kick passing into the forward line particularly from about the 65 yard line there was none of that the other day it was a it was a very very strange performance but Keane O'Neill will be delighted I suppose, just to get the win and well, they have three weeks to regroup now and from their point of view you would be expecting something completely different the next day because they're going to have to bring something different Michael, as always, thank you very much for joining us on the Rewind podcast here on News Talk. That's Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and uh, also former Offaly Hurler. Congratulations, by the way, as well uh, to your old team, Offaly, for getting their win over the weekend. They are through to the quarterfinal where they'll take on Leash and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Michael, thanks. Thanks a million, Oshin. Appreciate it. And we'll stay with GA for the next couple of minutes because uh, in Ulster, Tyrone, off to a winning start, beating Derry 3-14 to 12 points. Tyrone haven't won an Ulster title since 08, and that's a long time to wait. And here is their manager, Mickey Hart, on the three first-half goals and how it made a big difference to the game. Good to have uh, that kind of control by half-time. When we had two goals, I was very happy with that. But then they got a point just coming up towards the end of the half. And the fact that we got our third goal was a real killer for yeah. them and the saviour for us, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It meant that it was a damage limitation exercise in the second half. And all we had to do was tick them point for point in the second half and then all would be well. So without that third goal, it would have been, it would have been more tense than that. But that, that, was, that really sealed the deal for us. Mickey Hart, the Tyrone manager, speaking after their win over Derry. For Ross Common, they beat Leitrim 121 to 12 points. That's a game we had live on News Talk. Finton Craig spoke to Billy Joe Padden, who was part of the off the ball commentary team, pretty much on the full time whistle. And these interviews, while they sound a bit strange because players are struggling for breath some of the time, they are quite honest and they are quite raw. Yeah, we're delighted to be honest. Um, we got a bit of a scare in New York. No disrespect to New York or anything, but we thought we'd get out of it a few points more to spare but look New York ran us right to the wire and I suppose we were lucky enough in the finish we were grouped when we got back we trained hard and we knew we were going to get to that stages today but we knew at times if we got our opportunities and took them we'd get, come out winners in the finish Yeah it was really the second quarter there you showed a lot of patience in the, fir- in the when Leitrim were at their strongest and the second quarter was where, where you, you really put a, a distance between yourselves and themselves Yeah yeah we worked hard around the middle and it was probably until they got the first man uh, sent off that we started retaining the ball, giving the ball to the man in the better position and kicking off the scores in the right positions. 
Look, we could have kicked a lot more. A good few into the goalie's hands. Missed a few frees and that's just... We've a lot to tidy up on yet. They certainly do, Fintan Craig, but they got the win and that's the important thing. And they play Sligo next in the Connacht semi-final. Of course, Sligo put them out in Connacht last year. That was a bit of a surprise at the time up in Markovic Park. Uh, for Leitrim, it's the qualifiers. Again, their manager, Shane Ward, disappointed with their discipline yesterday. They picked up a red card, a black card and three yellow cards yeah we thought we started very well and we settled very well which was obviously the plan uh, maybe didn't convert enough chances at the start of the game but nonetheless you know we contributed to a lot of our own downfall especially at the end of the first half and the start and the middle of the second half you know there's no excuse out there for just not competing you know you get the opportunities you have to compete and have to put your best foot forward and we just didn't do that today yeah and that second quarter really I suppose some of those changes you had to make in your uh, in your defence with the black card and injuries they didn't help you in that period either no it didn't our discipline got away from us today and uh, you know championship pie and you can see the games slipping for your black cards and so on are frequent and uh, I'm disappointed in that because it's something that I don't expect from my teams I expect them to be hugely disciplined well structured and know exactly what they're meant to do in the field at different times and we just didn't do that today and I suppose that sometimes is championship rush of blood to the head Yeah I suppose young players they'll, they'll probably learn at that but it's something that you'll probably have to you know, uh, focus their minds over the next coming weeks looking forward to the qualifiers yeah definitely and uh, you know today with some of the older players some of the older players too lack that little bit of drive and lack that little bit of uh, discipline on the field when you know in championship football when things are going your way and you need to reset and just and just keep taking over that's when you're looking to your senior players to lead the line yeah and do you think that those issues would they be better served if, if the, the players were you know in, experienced in occasions like this more often if the championship system was different I know we spoke to you know Johnny McGee the Wicklow manager last week and he, he felt that the, the way the championship system didn't give Devotion 4 teams you know a proper crack at it they didn't get enough competition against you know uh, better quality sides yeah definitely listen I'm not looking for excuses and that's definitely something we in Leitrim will never look for um, but definitely we need more exposure to championship games like around the 21s you know we've won game every year against Mayo or Common or Galway who are eventual All-Ireland champions every year you know so my boys aren't used to preparing for championship games like this they get two, two every year in the last couple of years with the seniors one every year with the 21s they get, they get more they get less games in five years than you know one team gets in a full championship campaign so it has to balance up some way we need more experience the boys need to get playing more and less training less preparation and more games so there is there has to be an answer somewhere along the lines but I certainly don't have it at the minute Shane Ward the Leitrim manager speaking to Billy Joe Padden on Off the Ball following Leitrim's heavy defeat to Roscommon and as you can hear from Ward he's frustrated with the system let's go to rugby now here on the Rewind podcast on News Talk what a weekend for both Connacht and Leinster reaching the Guinness Pro 12 final Leinster did it via a 30-18 win over Ulster at the RDS on Friday Connacht did it with a tense very tense 16-11 victory over Holders Glasgow Warriors at the sports ground a coach Pat Lamb in just a moment on how they keep achieving these goals but first let's get a sense of the excitement at the sports ground with the Galway Bay FM commentary team of Joe Healy and Rob Murphy. 20 seconds to go. They've done this already this season on quite a few occasions. They need to do it one more time to get to the final. They need to go through two phases, I'd say. Maybe only one. Sean O'Brien goes to ground. Ball is there. Seven seconds. Five, four. They kick the touch. Connacht have won. They're going to the final. Unbelievable! 16-11! Marvellous scenes in the sports ground. Delirious fans. Connacht jumping for joy. They're in the final of the Pro 12 in Edinburgh against Leinster next Saturday. We beat Munster away. We beat Ospreys away. And, you know, as we achieve milestones, we just say, great. And we put it over here. And the... The, the thing with our, our review on Monday, and I've got a bit of work to do tonight, is that when we come in there, it's 
making sure the players leave understanding how we won, you know, and most of the answers is our team structures, our systems and what we do. Then the next thing they leave on Monday is I want them, they know exactly how we're going to beat the next team and how we're going to go about doing it. And so they got the whole week then to prepare on their jobs. So it's a final now and it's the, you know, it's the top team. It's the team that's won it more times than anyone else. It's the team that, you know, there's guys in there, there's, they're, they're going to have the biggest representation that's going to go to South Africa. And it's the team that's played World Cups and a lot of players there. So they've been here, they've done that. And this is, uh, you know, if we try to match them individually, you know, we get blown off the park. But everything's going to go back. And as I said to the boys, um, it's going to come down to our, our team structures on attack and D. Pat Lamb st- sounding calm as always and talking about uh, processes. Daniel Kelly of Newstalk.com forward slash sports. You were at the sports grounds and you were in that Pat Lamb press conference. Um, talk to me first, firstly about the atmosphere. Well, Oshin, it's it's hard to describe, but I think the the intimacy of the ground makes the sports ground a very, very special place that everyone is on top of the pitch. There is no bad seat or terrace position in the ground and everyone associates the sports ground with sort of these damp, uh, damp, wet and windy nights in November and December, but on Saturday evening, perfect conditions and the crowd certainly turned out in force. They were there early and uh, the clan terrace as, as what it has done all season made it a very intimidating place for the Glasgow Warriors team it was, it was just an excellent night Now it only took Bundy Aki one minute to send two <laughs> Glasgow players off injured now we, we want to state not in a bad sense he just oh, collided with them yeah, ac- yeah absolutely he just collided with them and off they went and let's hope they're okay yeah, uh, both were okay afterwards. Both uh, initially went off for the head injury assessment, but I think pretty quickly we knew that Finn Russell, the fly half, wasn't going to return as he went off on a stretcher. We were surprised that Sander Fagerson, the prop, didn't come back. He went off the pitch himself, uh, walked off and seemed to walk off looking okay, but clearly those uh, head injury assessments, he didn't pass them. So it doesn't matter what team you are, when you lose your fly half and you lose your tight head prop, in the first 80 seconds of the game, your plan is going to get thrown into disarray. Obviously, with the props, uh, he was replaced by Darcy Ray, and I'm sure Ray certainly wasn't expecting an 80-minute shift in Galway. And in the end, the both replacements who came on for uh, Glasgow actually did very well. Duncan Weir as well, a fly half, did well. But uh, Gregor Townsend spoke after the game that he thought both replacements uh, coped well in the circumstances, but it was a massive loss to the team, understandably. And it's even more amazing when you think that uh, Aki looked doubtful during the week having twisted his knee. Yeah, that was something that we were absolutely shocked by when Lam mentioned it in the press conference. It was kept very quiet uh, throughout the week. He was named in the starting 15, but Peter Robb, who was named on the bench, was uh, fully prepared to start the game. Uh, Lam mentioned that uh, Aki uh, on Tuesday afternoon twisted his knee that the team had finished their uh, training for the day. A lot of the backs wanted to do some tackling drills after their uh, famous skill sessions that they've had throughout the year that have helped the team so much. And he twisted his knee, uh, landing awkwardly on a tackle. He left the uh, sports ground on Tuesday in uh, on crutches, uh, didn't uh, participate in the captain's run on Friday. And uh, Pat Lamb admitted that he only realised that Aki would be fit to play when he arrived himself at the sports grounds and saw Aki on the on the uh, masseuse's table and he gave him the thumbs up. So he did say that he was he was willing to give Aki until 6.29 on Saturday even a chance to play in the game, but luckily he probably knew an hour or so earlier. It just shows how, how uh, instrumental Aki is for the team, that even with a twisted knee, yeah. that they were willing to keep quiet for so long and no rumours or anything came out from the camp 
uh, no leaks of Aki's potential injury. But we were surprised afterwards that uh, Lam even mentioned it because now Leinster know straight away that Aki may have a weak knee. It might be something that they might wish to target when tackling, that they know he has a weaker side compared to the other. But it just shows, as I mentioned, how crucial that, that this New Zealand centre is to the team. Talk to me about the process because that's a word Pat Lamb uses constantly. When you're at the sports ground and you're looking at Connacht, even when they're under pressure, we'll say towards the end of the game they were under pressure, do they look like a team who are calm and composed? Do they look like a team who've got a process? And how much has that, how, how different is that to, to Connacht of old? I mean, because you would have been there for some, some bad nights on the sport, at the sports ground as well. Uh, well, the Connacht of old, as everyone has, and I think a lot of people still look at them this way as a forwards-oriented team. They're they're one of the best attacking teams now in the league. Niyadi Olokan, who was on the wing, was instrumental on Saturday night. They they will they will run the ball from anywhere. Obviously, the conditions on Saturday night held. When you're talking about the defence, the only try they conceded in the game was from uh, Leone Nakawara, the Fijian superstar, uh, who was one of the stars of the World Cup, and that came, I think, after eight or nine minutes of the second half. Connacht up until then were instrumental in uh, their defence. They were perfect. They were keeping everything out. And it was just, they didn't panic. Eventually, the pressure from the Glasgow forwards, uh, it, it sort of it came through and there was nothing Connacht could do about it. They're an excellent defensive team. Looking ahead to the weekend, Pat has spoken, like as he said, he's spoken about the process. They will go in to the They will go into the game on Saturday night looking after themselves. They won't, as Pat said there in the clip you just played, if they match up man for man against Leinster, he fully expects to lose. They will go in doing their own thing. It has worked for them so far in uh, 22 league games and a playoff. And he'll be confident that what he's done so far since the start of the season will uh, will hopefully be good enough for them uh, next Saturday evening. And we've seen with Leinster in the last couple of weeks, even on Friday night, that they are vulnerable and Connacht can target that. They can chase that. They can go after it. Well, if they're vulnerable, one person that certainly wasn't saying it was John Muldoon. He was speaking after the game and he was uh, speaking about watching the game on Friday night when Leinster defeated Ulster, how impressed he was. He particularly name uh, name mentioned uh, Jimmy Heaslip and Jonathan Sexton on numerous occasions. Deep down, they will know, like uh, they will be having uh, sessions throughout the week that there are places there to, uh, there'll be places there to try and get the better of Leinster, but Connacht, will go into this game as underdogs. It's exactly what they'll do. They'll play that up the whole week. They'll say, we're the underdogs, we're the people here in this for the first time. Leinster are the, uh, Leinster are the masters of final play and they'll know what to do. But I, deep down, Pat Lamb, he'll be working away all week and he'll know yeah. that there will be there will be places that they can get the better of Leinster. Dan, just before I let you go, this is important to all of Connacht because, and you know this more than anyone, you're a Sligo man, you're a Connacht man, you've, you've played rugby in the province. Like when you look at Leitrim, Sligo, Roscommon and I will extend this to Mayo because they haven't won that All-Ireland since 1951 and we can even further extend it to Galway because while they've had relatively recent success they've struggled of late to, to crack the top tier in football again and you know the hurlers have got to a couple of All-Ireland finals it hasn't worked out Connacht are kind of giving everyone in the province something to get behind something to cheer some reason to feel good and I remember as a Waterford person feeling that way about Munster and getting excited about Munster because they gave everyone in the province something to get behind and it unified the province. Uh, how important is that to, to Connacht people and the west of Ireland? Because it's something Pat Lamb has talked about. He's constantly referenced the west of Ireland and the five counties of Connacht. Well, it was one of the first things he mentioned in the press conference and he name-dropped all five counties about how important this is for the team. Before the team comes out in the sports ground, the man on the PA mentions all five counties that this is for you. 
people would assume Connacht being because it's based in Galway that it would be a Galway based team but there are players especially in the underage levels that are from all over the county I know uh, especially that there was three Sligo born players in the Ireland under 20s team during the Six Nations that all of those have come through the Connacht Academy this is a province that is expanding it is leaving the traditional heartlands of rugby around Galway and it is becoming bigger we like I was parked close enough to the sports ground the other night and you could see car registrations from all around the county even though it is based in Galway this is a team that is on the up it's a team that from Carrick and Shannon Sligo Castlebar Boyle Ross Common Town all these places are going to these games because I suppose with any with any sport you will go out and you'll support a winning team yeah. And this is a team that is getting successful. This is a team that is on uh, a one-way trajectory, and that is certainly up. And I suppose the West of Ireland doesn't have a lot to cheer about at the best of times. I think we can safely say, and you can come back and quote me on this session in, September, in <laughs> September if I'm wrong, more than likely a Connacht team won't win the All-Ireland in either football or hurling this year. This is, as a as a sport, maybe with the exception of Sligo Rovers and Galway United, one of the, it's probably the top tier it's, it is it is the team most likely of success in Connacht this year and that's why everyone's getting behind it and it's absolutely brilliant to see. OK, Daniel Kelly of Newstalk.com forward slash sport. Thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast here on Newstalk. Thanks very much, Oshin. Thank you very much, Dan. Right, Jamie Heaslip uh, was mentioned by Dan there and uh, he was speaking after Leinster's win on Friday night against Ulster. 30 points to 18, the final score. But afterwards, I asked him about Johnny Sexton's comments regards Leinster at the moment and how the standards have dropped and Sexton said this that the standards have dropped uh, from the CEO downwards this is what uh, Heaslip had to say Murray Kinsler by the way of the 42.ie also jumping in on this taking up the point not particularly no um, Johnny's an emotional man he wears his heart in his sleeve um, but not really no did you speak to him after he said that? did I? like when your teammates come out and says that I presume it's one of my colleagues said it, I'd be pretty pissed off did you chat with him or did you I'm not going to tell you guys. Jimmy Heaslip of Leinster speaking to the Rewind podcast here on News Talk. He's always interesting to chat to. And by the way, he was on the Sunday show with Shane Coleman recently here on News Talk talking about his top five books. And that's well worth checking out. It's still on the News Talk website. Uh, you can find it. It's on our podcast section. Uh, football now. And as always, ex-Ireland and uh, Chelsea fullback Paddy Mulligan is with us, along with Raf Diallo of Team 33 and Off the Ball. Um... Paddy, Van Gaal gone, but it ha- it has been a long goodbye. Oh, very much so. I, I feel very, very badly handled by United. It's been, it's been quite obvious for months that he was not the man to lead United forward. And I don't know why they just kept on uh, uh, holding on to him and allowing all the speculation to occur uh, within the media and for him to answer the same old daft questions every week uh, about his future at Man United. Uh, Ed Woodward and, and, and the rest of the crew there at Man United really... You know, stand and die for that. They should, respect of whether you like Van Hal or not. The fact is, he should have been treated with a little bit more respect. Although he didn't, he didn't treat some people uh, as well with, with a great degree of, of respect. But that's not the point. The point is, Man United are a huge club. Uh, you always look up to them to go and do the right thing at the right time. And I don't think they uh, eventually they've done it, but it's taken them an awful long time to go and get it done. My dad always told me to have been judged to have done a good job. You have to leave something better than when you found it. Has Van Gaal done that? Not at all. It's a, it's a complete nutter mess. So uh, Mourinho will be in there, and he's going to walk into a to a, a, a state of of, of uh, I won't say anarchy, but certainly a state of, of of players not up to the standards that Mourinho would want. 
Um, Just on that question, actually, um, it, it is an improvement on Moyes, even if it's the slightest improvement. It's not really where Man United should be, though. Wouldn't that be the case? I mean, he has brought them on about better, like, but not where it should be. Is, is that what we're saying? Yeah, better, but still quite bad. But that's not, that's not just down to Van Gaal, surely? No, structural issues have. at the club. Actually, the club was in in decline probably towards the end of Ferguson's reign, but Ferguson was just so formidable. They were able to win that last league title, and then that was probably the last he could get out of that team. The club, if the truth be known, the club has probably been in decline for about eight or nine years. Even those were winning the, 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 the Premier League by 10 and 11 points, and that's where the problem lay, that they didn't see that they were winning it so easy. And, and they thought they were much better than what they actually were. And then a lot of players sort of got, uh, grew old together in a footballing sense. And th- they weren't replaced or they couldn't be replaced. Uh, the, the likes of Scholes, for instance, in midfield. Roy Keane, Roy Keane, going back to Roy Keane's days, he was never replaced. And that's the, that's the sad part of it. But uh, uh, Ferguson was thrilled to go on. He, Fergie really left the club in a bit of a mess as well. Let's be very clear about that. No matter how successful he's been for 26 years, I mean, you, you should be leaving the club in a much better position than what he left it in. He he milked every ounce of energy from those players to go and win the league uh, in, in his last season there, which they won, which they won handsomely. But they, the lads had nothing, absolutely nothing left to give to a new manager. So that's when new 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 blood had to come in, and that wasn't forthcoming. They're just not equipped for the modern world. I mean, we're hearing stories that Ed Woodward got excited in a board meeting because Jorg Mendes' number popped up on his phone. He was like, oh, hey, look who's calling me. He was excited by this. Yeah, Th- that's, a, that's a man out of his depth. Like, that's yeah, a man who's very sad. <laughs> and out of his yeah, depth. Yeah, no, and even actually when you look at, say, I was reading Daniel Taylor's piece in The Guardian, really excellent one, which has a load of different insights about what's go- been going on behind the scenes, or at least what Taylor's saying has been going on behind the scenes. And the one ad- anecdote of a player who had to ask some of the uh, you know the the chefs at the club to boil two eggs for him because he didn't know how to do that himself. That's what we're kind of dealing with in this so-called modern world. Yeah. Even I can boil an egg or two. Yeah, yeah but you, you don't give them... You, you give them eight minutes instead of four. Yeah, but, but chances are that's every player. I mean, the United players aren't the exception there. I'd be surprised if Ronaldo could boil no, an egg. Yeah, but you but still get... Yeah, it's just those things where even the, the fact that... Um, they can't go thing, shopping another, either. Yeah, another thing that Taylor yeah. kind of put out in his thing was... Uh, Van Hal used to send these critical emails to the players and some of them just wouldn't open them. So what he actually ended up installing was kind of like a tracker thing so he knows when they're kind of, that they're not deleting them or whatever it is. like. But that just kind of tells you what's kind of been going on behind the scenes. And what happened to face-to-face situation with the manager? That if the manager has something to say to you, why not meet your head on in his room or on the training pitch and get it sorted out but face no, But apparently face. that's what he started out doing, that he um, he was telling them in, in you know club meetings with the players there and then they didn't really react that well to it. So then eventually it actually moved yeah. on. What to, was he telling them, do you know? Well, he was just criticising, well, he was breaking down their performances and where they're kind of going wrong and things yeah. like that, which is his job as a manager. Of course. And did he and, and did he get them out on the pitch and show them where they were going wrong and show them how to remedy it? That is the, the next piece, yeah. That, that's that the I don't know. It's but all very it well moved sending, on from face-to-face yeah. to email. It's all very well sending these stupid emails because I haven't come into the 24th century as regards computers and emails and all yeah, this You're on Twitter, stuff. though. And I've not, yeah, and I've no interest in doing so. So yeah. the only way that I would deal with people would be hit them face-to-face and show them exactly what has to be done and it's repetition and do it every day if necessary and drill it into a player until he knows exactly what has to be done and then you've, you've got some chance but if you've no chance I don't think with, with this email arc. It's interesting to talk about what might have caused this whole experiment not to work. 
But what does Jose Mourinho now have to do to get it to work next season, Paddy? Well, he's got to be. He, well, he's got to get new players for a start. He's got to get about seven or eight new players. Can he not do anything with the squad? He no, has? no, not in my not in my opinion. God, no, definitely not. It's 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 a, it's a shambles. You know, players will play above their station for a while, but it's a very short term way of, way of doing things. And if you, and if he gets if he gets away with it for a, for a while, I'm talking when I say a while, I'm talking about a few months. If he gets away with that, that'll be that'll be the best that he can do. But he he. Uh, He's got, he's, he's got a new, have, have a new structure defensively they're, they're all over the place they haven't been punished in the Premier League because the Premier League is so poor but they're all over the place defensively they've got nothing in midfield and they've got very very little up front Rashford uh, looks as if he might be might be pointing Martial might but it's all it's all ifs and buts now we have Re, uh, Rooney regressing into a midfield role and playing in front of his back four and, and, and spraying a ball from right to left but no end, end product so uh, there's an awful there's an awful lot wrong with Man United and, and Mourinho, Mourinho will, will will spot this and and he I've no doubt he will get the money to, to go and, and and remedy the situation at at Man United and bring in the players that he that he wants and it's of paramount importance that he keeps the likes of De Gea because there's only about there's only about three people there that you you you'd be you'd be happy with. Ryan Giggs, what do you do with him? Get rid of him. It's hard. Get him out. Yeah. Really? Get him out. Oh yeah, get him out straight away. Wouldn't have him near me. Get him out straight away. No, I wouldn't have him near me because I don't think he's got an awful lot to offer uh, Man United at this, at this juncture. I think he should be better off going off and learning his trade in a lower division and just see what 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 uh, the real world is all about instead of being cocooned, sitting on the bench as a number two, and not not uh, not taking any criticism and not and not more importantly not adding uh, anything. Uh, from the, from the touchline, and that to me would uh, that would be a huge concern. Just because he was a smashing player for Man United doesn't mean to say he's going to be a, a, a great manager, a great coach. No matter how many people talk him up, go and prove it. Thus far, he's done nothing. How similar is the history between an overarching figure leaving Manchester United and then the club falling asunder afterwards? Between what's happening now and what happened in the past when Wolf McGuinness came in, it didn't work. Franco Farrell didn't happened. work. Same thing happened. Tommy Doherty, it didn't yeah. work, and. It, you know, Matt, it, it hasn't worked with Moyes, it hasn't worked with Van Gaal. Yeah. Matt Busby was thrilled to yeah. win the European Cup in 1968 because he, he had that horrible Munich disaster back in, mm. uh, back in 58. And he, he, he did a wonderful, well, to, to be still alive after that, he, it, it was a miracle. But then he, he built another team. I mean, th- those Busby babes in the 50, in the 50 were, were a magnificent team. God knows what they would have gone on to achieve. And then he built a, another wonderful team in the, in, the, in the 60s, winning leagues and then culminating in the winning of the, of the uh, European Cup in 1968, as is now the, the Champions League. But Matt stayed on too long. With he, was, he was thrilled when he won that. That's all, boom, finished. Now I've won the FA Cup, I've won the league, great stuff. And, but he didn't bow out, he, he stayed upstairs. And, and uh, certain players, like Bobby Charlton, Dennis Lodge, yeah. the, late, the late great George Best, they had a path beaten up to Busby's office, telling him who the, who he should buy, who he shouldn't buy, and he, and he wasn't having any of it. So then he made the appointment of Wilf McGuinness. Now Wilf was a wonderful youth team coach, but but it's a different situation point. now. People are looking back at that situation and going, "It's happening again." But are you saying it's it's just very oh, different? You can't compare it. No, it, no, it it, it it has happened again because yeah. Fergie is still around the place. As is Bobby Charlton, who apparently Bobby is very Charlton. anti-Mourinho, and they would have had him oh, before yes. only for him. Yeah, only for Bobby Charlton putting putting his oar in and, and, and saying that well, he wouldn't suit the image of the club. Cast <laughs> a man, they uh, Fergie. Yeah. <laughs> talk about people not suiting the image of the club, <laughs> and then they had Fergie there for twenty six years, and he banned the BBC from 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 Old Trafford, and uh, ah, 
Yeah, not well, at it's all. It's kind of a contrast to say a Chelsea. Chelsea sack, if Chelsea sack a manager because they're not there that long to build something or in their own image, you know, if they go, you can move on quite quickly. And then I'd say that's the problem Arsenal are going to have as well. You know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Someone's so ingrained in the system that... I fear the day Wenger goes yeah, as an Arsenal fan. Will, Lads, I want yeah. to move on because Ireland are playing two Euro 2016 warm-ups over the next week. They're, they're much more exciting sounding when you call them warm-ups for the Euros instead of friendlies. Uh-huh. But uh, it's the Netherlands first up on Friday night. Kevin Doyle will join up with the squad ahead of the Belarus game in Cork uh, next week. He's former stomping ground of uh, Turner's Cross. Uh-huh. Mark Wilson, unfortunately, has had a setback. He is out for four to five weeks, which means he will miss Euro 2016. Uh, It's another option gone. Uh, Robbie Keane yet to join up with the squad this week for training, but he will join up. Darren Murphy coming back. David McGoldrick finishing the season very well. Martin O'Neill has said so he might... Get some um, get some exposure. He might be able to sneak. He might in be there, a surprise, but, uh, wouldn't he? He could be to surprise. No, right, because you know O'Neill normally does something like this, and he quite, he, he seems to he seems to like uh, McGoldrick as a player. So we'll 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 watch. Mark Wilson's loss is that a big loss to lose an option like that? No, not particularly, but it's it, it, it's still a, it's still a bit of a loss. And you feel sorry for Mark Wilson, you know that uh, the, uh, the the country gets to the Euros and and uh, he picks up a picks up a bad injury. And and he's he's out of the competition completely. So for him, for him on a personal level, it certainly is a, is a big loss. But I think Ireland can overcome it. He was a defender, and and defenders generally, um, you can you can you can get away with with with, with defenders. Yeah, if he was a midfield player or a front man, you'd say, oh, huge loss. But I suppose the one big benefit from him is is the fact he can play in so many different positions. He can play left back, kind of centre back, and even if you really Badly. needed him in midfield, he can do yeah. a job as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's, oh, it's, money, it, it, it's, it's a loss in a sense that he's an option well, as, gone, as, as a squad player, yeah. as an option if 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 left back gets injured, okay. or, or you could you could even throw him into a holding role in midfield, very holding. Okay, what approach? In desperation you, what, what approach do you think Martin O'Neill should take to these two games? Do you think he should start his starting eleven that he thinks will begin in the first game of the Euros against Netherlands, Raf? Sorry, uh, I just kind of do. I was just. Wait, uh, I was, all, I was, on Raph the was having there. a sleep. No, yeah. He was, make, he was making a call to Mark Wilson Wilson to see what he would say. And see what he would do. Okay, go on, ask the question again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were listening in the first place. Um, He's putting now on a I forget teacher. the question. Okay, look, Mark O'Neill, should he pick his starting eleven for the Euros, the first game in the Euros against Netherlands or possibly Belarus? You want them to have a bit of game time together. So I would say the vast majority of that team. We're talking maybe eight or nine at the team he knows is going to start that first game against Sweden yeah who would you leave out which two would you leave out if you're going to pick well it it could be any maybe a random pair or ones that are maybe struggling a little bit with fitness maybe you can rest Seamus Coleman maybe or something or somebody like that but it's just to have the core of the team together get them used to I'd go along with that I mean I think I think think it's very important these are the two games uh, before the Swedish game that he's going to have a look at players so he, he should know what his best 11 is he should know what sixteen, seventeen players? But can you know and wants. not pick them, or do you have to pick them to know? No, I think, I think, I think you have to pick them. Yeah. Uh, at, at this juncture, a month ago, I would have said, "No, let let, let lads who are on the fringes have a, uh, have a game." But now, I think it's far too serious now because we're we're, we're coming into that big Swedish game, and you've got to have the players right and and be confident in what in, in their roles and be confident in what they're doing. And that the only way of, of getting that done is getting them to play against the Dutch and get to get them again to play against Belarus. You can make changes during the game if if, if you so wish. There's no yeah. there's no problem there. But I would start off with the, with the eleven that I feel are going to be good enough to take on Sweden and beat Sweden against both Holland and Belarus. Just before I let you go, Paddy, I want to talk to you about Joe McDonough, the former GA president who passed away over the weekend. 
But to just call him the former GA president is doing him a massive disservice because he was a Sigerson Cup footballer, a classy footballer. I heard um, Martin Carney say during the weekend he can't believe the Galway footballers never went after him. The Galway hurlers and Cyril Farrell did. He was very close in 79, but he got there in 80, along with yes, Joe Connolly yeah, and the yeah, gang. Yeah, yeah. And he was and he, part don't of... Don't forget, he won another 21 in, in 72 as well uh, Correct. Uh, for Galway against Dublin. Correct. And in 1996, won a junior C county title along with his uh, teenage son, Owen. Yes, and I had the, I the good fortune to, to, to know Joe and, and to have worked a little bit with Joe in, in, in 79, 80, uh, 81. And he, yeah, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. What a, what a loss. What a loss to, pe- to peg his wife. Mm. You know, a wonderful, wonderful family and, and, and to the children. So I offer my, my deepest con- uh, condolences. But what a, what a good hurler as well. What a great right halfback. He played in the final of 79. But he, he, he was ill prior to that. But I didn't, I didn't even know that he was ill. And, he he and hit the second it. Half, and the sec- he hit it. And in the second half, then he, he just sort of drifted from the game, which was, which was a great pity. Because Kenny beat, beat Galway uh, in, in, in the final of 2-12 to 1-8. And... Uh, but take nothing away from Joe McDonough as a hurler. He was a, he was a wonderful right halfback. Yeah, people mightn't realise that you actually coached the Galway team. Yeah, we then had a chat. Early yeah, with, with Babs Keating brought me in first yeah. of all in '79. Babs was the manager then. Yeah, and and, and uh, we got beaten by Kenny again, and and uh, in, uh, Babs uh, left after after the final or a few weeks after the final, mm. and then Cyril Farrell became involved, and Cyril asked me would I come in and and, and you know, still have a, an input with the lads. I said, if you feel that that I can be of some benefit to you, of course I will. So we went on then the following year, unfortunately in, in, in 1981, and then in 81 uh, uh, lost to Offaly. So it was a wonderful time for me, but to get to know these lads as well, and, and Joe and Joe McDonough in particular. Yeah. One, wonderful man. They always strike me as being a very special group, that team. And maybe it's because they gave us one of Irish sports and Irish culture's most iconic moments with the West Awakes and the singing. Joe yeah, picked up the microphone. You'd, you'd and wonder, Joe Connolly's speech yeah. and yeah, you'd, you'd wonderful, you'd wonderful men in, in that team yeah. uh, as opposed to just players. They were real men. Yeah. Uh, the Connor Hayes of this world, you know, the Sean Silks, Iggy, Iggy Clark, you know, Sylvia Lennon, magnificent Frank Burke, John Connolly, Joe Connolly, Michael Connolly, ah, yeah. you know, you, you, uh, uh, the Gantleys, ah. You know, they, 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 they were just wonderful. PJ Malloy, wonderful people. And, and, and smashing hurlers, very, very high, highly skilled hurlers. And their attitude was absolutely, you know, first class. And Joe McDonough, a character. And Joe McDonough was, of course, yes, yes. And a Welsh speaker as well, believe it or not, went over and studied Celtic studies and he could uh, sing the Welsh national anthem as a party piece. So there you go. An amazing man. And as I say, I, you wouldn't want to pigeonhole him while remembering him oh, as no, just a hurler not. or just a president because no, he, he was, was so much. much. Oh, yeah, he, he was... He was larger than life. Okay. Raf Diallo and uh, Paddy Mulligan, thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast here on News Talk. Thank, Thank you, Washington. Well, that's almost it for the Rewind for this weekend. But before we go, uh, let's hear a little bit more from Rory McIlroy, who won the Irish Open yesterday with a fantastic display, uh, finishing three shots clear of Bradley Dredge and Russell Knox. And he really, really went for it in the end. He took some very brave shots as he... Uh, told Sky Sports as you've seen over the, the past few years I don't I don't really get emotional when when I win or, or victories but I was I was trying to hold back the tears there on the 18th green um, just looking up there and seeing all my friends and family and, and, and the support that I've had this week and it's and to, to win in front of them I, I don't get a chance to, to play in front of um, my home fans very often so to to play like that and to, to finish like that today um, you know I'll never forget it 
there are always turning points, key moments in rounds of golf like this. Obviously, Russell birdied 14 and 15. You've gone from one in front to one behind. You then hit the most incredible second shot into 16 to set up a two-shot swing. Describe that second shot for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew that I was taking a risk. I, I don't know how many other guys went for that green and two today, but um, it's, a, it's a tight shot in there. But, I, you know, I... I knew I just needed to, if I caught it solidly, I'd get it into the middle of the green and hopefully two putt. Uh, I didn't expect Russell to make bogey on 16, but that was a, a huge turning point. And then, uh, yeah, then that gave me a, a little bit of a cushion play in the, those last two holes. As you hit that shot, it was nominated as a potential shot of the year, but you beat it two holes later with your approach to 18. Tell us about that one, please. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll have two shots in the running then. Um, yeah, I actually, it's funny, I had the exact same distance, the same yardage to the 18th in the Pro-Am, and JP tried to get me to hit a 4-iron, and I didn't I didn't like it, I, I felt like I was trying to hit it too hard, and then I dropped another ball, actually, and hit a 5-wood, and, and hit basically the same shot, so I'd actually hit that shot before this week, and a little bit of practice, and a little bit of confidence, knowing that I knew what to do, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I pulled it off perfectly. In our pre-round chat, before you went to the range, you were saying you were trying to stay relaxed. Just how much pressure did you feel out there? Because you wanted this so badly. I was trying to stay as relaxed as possible. Um, and even when, when Russell birdied 14 and 15, which are two of the toughest holes on the course, I mean, they were two really strong birdies. Uh, I knew that you know my, my length would be an advantage over the, the last three holes, and, and I kept telling myself that. I, I told myself, I, I'm still in this, I still have chances. And uh, I didn't quite think I'd end up winning by three, but uh, I thought I still had a chance. So, um, you know, I stayed as patient as I possibly could. But when there's 30,000 people rowing you on, it's quite hard. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. How much energy could you take from the crowd? The support was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, the ovation I got when that ball landed on the 16th green. Uh, well, I mean, that, that even uh, sends shivers down my spine. So, you know, it, it's... It's just incredible to play in front of these crowds, and they're so knowledgeable about the golf. And you know, rain or shine, um, they come out in their droves and they support. Uh, so, you know, for everyone that's watching at home and everyone that's, you know, that's here, thank you for supporting this event. It means obviously an awful lot to the to the players, but it means an awful lot to everyone else. And you know, buying a ticket this week goes a long way to to helping children that really need it. So, thank you. Well, that's it for the rewind for this week. But uh, it was a sad weekend for Galway and indeed the GAA community at large. Um, we learned of the passing of Joe McDonough, the former GAA president and also a former Galway hurler. Uh, but that doesn't nearly sum up Joe McDonough and his contribution to the GAA and by extension Irish life. I was reading Sean Moran in the Irish Times today and he said that uh, he's the first president to have won an All-Star. He was also the first to be registered as a player and um, while he was the GAA president. And at the end of 1996, he fulfilled a lifelong ambition to win a county medal when his club won the Galway Junior C Championship with McDonough's teenage son Owen playing on the same team. Uh, GA President Aegon O'Farrell paid the following tribute. It was with great sadness that we learnt of Joe's passing and I know that sentiment is shared by so many throughout the wider GAA family. Joe was held in extremely high regard and his company was enjoyed by so many over the course of his long involvement with the GA in so many different capacities, not least as president from 1997 to 2000. He and his tenure left an indelible mark on the association and his passion for our games and activities was only matched by his passion for the Irish language. He also had a profound interest in our international network and the further expansion of the GAA overseas. He will be sorely missed and I would like to offer my sympathies to his wife Peg, his family uh, and his wide circle of friends and admirers. Joe certainly had many, many admirers 
and I think it's fair to say he was part of one of the GA's most iconic moments. It's rare after an All-Ireland final that you don't remember the final itself, you remember something that happened around it. And that was certainly the case with Joe McDonough and his rendition of the West Awakes. Joe Connolly made the speech in 1980 after Galway ended a 57-year wait for Liam McCarthy. Cyril Farrell was coaching them. Uh, But Joe McDonough took up the microphone and sang the song with such passion. And uh, a lot of us weren't born at that stage. We kind of remember that like we saw it, like we were there. And that that means it's a very, very special moment. So we leave you with that special moment here on The Rewind. And um, along with everyone in the GA, we'd like to pass our sympathies to Joe McDonough's family. Joe McDonough, rest in peace. And now, there is the striking up of the West Awakes. 